A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Wessler. Welcome to episode 190 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the need for a hydrospanner when the Falcon's hyperdrive fails, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, everybody. Big build-up for something that apparently is in every toolkit. <laughs> or should be. Also, again, joining us this week, again, flying all the way from Cloud City Casino. He's tired. He is the new Baron Administrator himself, Michael Morris. Roger, Roger. Yeah, I think Lando is not going to enjoy my uh, travel bill this month. <laughs> Just log all expenses, my man. Oh, yeah. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we ponder Chuck Wendig's Star Wars Aftermath, book one of the three-book trilogy. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free... No, we won't. We did that last episode. Go and check it out. In fact... Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Oh, nice save there, sir. Nice save. I thought that was going to be a blooper. Um, that's right, folks. In our last episode, we gave you our spoiler-free thoughts on Aftermath. We also talked about the three Banthas in the room, uh, the social media blow-up over the book. We looked at the uh, writing style of the book, the sentence fragments, the present tense, and all of that. And we also looked at the expectations for the book in relation to the reality of what the book turned out to be. Now that those are out of the way, we're in a position to be able to give you a what one might say is an honest look at the story as it exists of Aftermath. You know, honestly, the first thing I want to say, the very first thing that jumped out about this book to me was that the actual book, the hardcover version itself, was white. Uh, and I was actually, when we had Eric Shonoice on Star Wars Report, we were talking about this afterwards, and I was like, man, I gotta know, why was this one white? And he said, you know, in the end, it was his choice. He felt it matched the cover. And I was like, that's brilliant. You know, I've been one of those people that I've always been curious about those kind of things. So to find that out, I was like, oh, okay. You thought it would match the desk cover. Awesome. All right. That makes sense. Definitely, uh, you know, a book that I actually for once kept the dust cover on it instead of taking it off because it's a beautiful white. Uh, excuse me. Black book covers matter. <laughs> All books matter, man. Especially Star Wars ones. Uh, so now I know who to blame for my biggest complaint with this entire book. 
the cover. There you go. Should we maybe, I guess we, we usually start with a summary. We are on a compressed time schedule, folks, to be able to get this in because we did spend a lot of time on a lot of stuff in the previous episode that you're going to hear. So um, short version is that it is a mere matter of a little bit less than a year before the Battle of Jakku, after the Battle of Endor, and we are focused in on the planet Akiva, where a rebel woman named Nora Wexley is going back to try to reunite with her son, Timon, and gets embroiled in a situation in which we have uh, Wedge Antilles captured by Rey Sloan and her Imperials as she is there for a summit about the future of the Empire with people like Moff Pandion. Uh, or Grand Moff, as he calls himself, Pandion, uh, in an attempt to figure out what the new direction is for the Empire and how it survives. Along the way, they wind up hooking up with former uh, Imperial, basically rat, so to speak, Sinjar Rath Velas, uh, Jasamari, who is a bounty hunter, and their, their little band gets wrapped up in what eventually becomes an uprising on this planet, sort of a microcosm of what's going on in the galaxy. Meanwhile, we do intercut over and over again with little interludes, such as Han and Chewie heading off to Kashyyyk to try to start an uprising against the Empire there. What's going on with Mon Mothma, and does she think that the Rebel Alliance turned New Republic needs to have some kind of standing army? And things as simple as the beginning of a new Senate and the news coverage covering it. It is an Unusual book, Galactic Affairs and Interludes, small scale on Akiva for the main story. Well, and there were times where the Rebellion was almost a terrorist group. Like, there there were so many times I felt like they were really blurring those lines throughout this story. Uh, there were some really great moments, uh, and then there were moments where I kind of scratched my head. I was like, what was going on? I think that Mark Thompson did a really good job with some of the characters. Uh, Pandion, uh, he sounded a lot like Count Vindian, but I still enjoyed the way he approached the character. Uh, gave me a very much, I, I really appreciated that character. Sinjir's character was one that I was on the fence for, and you know we had brought up the aspect of the character that was controversial last episode, but I honestly, I felt like that character, I just, I didn't f- believe him. You know, I, I really felt like everything that identified that character as a homosexual male was just in one line. And I, I truly felt like the guy was just trying to skirt romance. He was like, you know, we're not not a good time and a place. And I just I felt like he had chose that because nothing else about the character really said that he was funny. I mean, like he talked about the orgy borgy and, and, and he would mock things all the time. I got a kick out of that. I did find uh, the the. Mr. Bones' owner, uh, I, I can't think Timmons. of his name. Timon, yeah, Timon's character, Mark Thompson played him up so well that at times he really grated on me. But it was it was the way that Mark Thompson would play the voice off. I mean, he really nailed the teenage whining. And, and right now my son's like, you know, I ask him anything. It's either the first thing out of his mouth is no or why. And he does it in the same tone. And I'm just like, oh, man, you're nailing it, Thompson, nailing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've I've both read the book and I've listened to the audio book two times now, and it is excellent how he he performs the characters. Yeah, there were some interesting things like history crons. So, you know, I've been a fan of holocrons and stuff from Legends, and now it seems like holocrons and now history crons and and data crons seems like that's a common everyday thing, and they're not as rare as they once were. Uh, you know, and, and I did put on our Facebook page, you know, I'd shared a part, uh, it was 
page 221 of, of Chuck's writing style where he had sliced something in twain. And I had mentioned, you know, it, there were times where it felt like he was going out of his way to make things more elaborate than needed be. And I'd mentioned, you know, it felt like he was padding his word count. And I'm only bringing this up now because like, some people were really, you know, they were like, they, they took offense as writers and, and you know, it wasn't something so big. It was just sometimes that there were certain words he would use that would make me stop and think about those kind of things. And so that was just one of the things that as it went along, I would go back and forth with, um, you know, when we had the Han and Chewie, like that and the Mon Mothma are the two interludes that were the ones that had me the most interested, uh, especially Mon Mothma. At one point, I think Mon Mothma was the star of the book. I was like, I was really digging the approach she was taking and wondering where that was going to set us up. And I think that that also led probably the most into a lot of people's complaints that it didn't tie in more to the force awakens. Cause it was like a taste of what might come, but no real solid foot on the, on the, the tread path of the future. You know, I think that this book, again, it had an unusual mix of characters in that they were pretty much all new. You've got Akbar briefly setting some things in motion for the New Republic. You've got Mon Mothma and Han and Chewie and some interludes. Leia in a recording. No Luke anywhere to be found. Uh, Ray Sloan is back. But for the most part, Wedge, of course, the MacGuffin that gets it all going at the beginning. But for the most part, it's new characters. I felt like uh, Nora Wexley intrigued me. She's this woman who... Uh, she makes kind of an odd choice. It's her and her husband, Brenton, and Timon... And when Brenton is taken away by the Empire, uh, she assumes that he is still alive. We don't know. We're assuming that he's still alive. But he's taken away. And rather than continuing on the planet uh, Akiva and living with their son, she dumps him basically onto or gives him over for safekeeping, so to speak, on her sister Esmel and Shireen, who is Esmel's wife. It's the first of the gay couples that we meet or gay individuals that we meet in the book are those two. And uh, she winds up going off and joining the Rebel Alliance and in the process winds up being part of the Battle of Endor. So we see elements of the Battle of Endor from her perspective, which is interesting because it also interweaves with the Shattered Empire comic that's also interweaving with and the Blade Squadron stories and Lost Stars that are all kind of telling different parts of the Battle of Endor. Um, so she becomes this interesting character and I kind of like the fact that when she comes home to Timon, it's a natural human reaction of, where the hell have you been? Screw you, lady. I don't owe you anything. And the, the crux of this story, for the most part, is her trying to get back her son's love and her son's trust that, that he has buried underneath from his childhood, but he's trying to sort of push her away because of her having left him for a while. There's even a point at which she gets his age wrong. Um, that's sort of the crux of it. And then around it, and Timon is a fairly well-developed character. Eventually, Timon winds up being the one that, because he wants to stay on the planet, betrays the group. It's a childish mistake. It's difficult to believe that at that point, this savvy kid who's dealing with local crime lords and staying away from them is somehow going to pull something like that by contacting the Empire and trying to make a deal, or Surat and trying to make a deal, and winds up getting himself and everyone else into a mess. That I found kind of unbelievable, but most of the rest of the character is he's almost Anakin-like in the fact that he builds Mr. Bones for himself and has this business going for himself. Like you could imagine Anakin doing if Watto had ever let him go free and him not going off to be a Jedi. Um, surrounding them, you've got Sinjir Valus, this Imperial who we meet, drunk off his butt, basically. 
Um, we find out that during the Battle of Endor, he ran away. He dressed up in the clothes of a dead rebel and ran the hell away and has since been kind of under the radar. And he eventually kind of coming to be a rebel, realizing that basically the Empire deserves what it got, that he deserves what he gets because of how how horrible the Empire was and some of the horrible things that he did as a loyalty officer basically against other Imperials for even the smallest of infractions. Uh, he is the other prominent gay character. There's one other like background character that's mentioned. Um, he, I found very interesting once he started to kind of have some substance rather than just being, hey, he's the drunk guy trying to get whatever he wants at the beginning. Uh, until eventually, we also have Jasamari pulled into the mix, the bounty hunter. Uh, really, I felt like she had very little characterization. We find that she was working for the Empire going after Leia during the Battle of Endor. Um, she eventually said, screw it, and left. She's now taking contracts from the New Republic and whatnot. Um, never really got a whole lot of characterization for her beyond, oh yeah, she's the niece of Sugi from the Clone Wars. So it would have been yeah. nice to have her developed. Um on the Imperial side, we had Ray Sloan, who gets a lot of development here, sort of the one trying to find a way to force things through. It's funny that she thinks of things as consensus at the beginning, and then is like, screw this, it needs to be a firm hand to force things through. Um, you got Moff Pandion, this completely arrogant jerk uh, who thinks, you know, everything should be answered with aggression. He wants the Ravager, the Super Star Destroyer that he thinks Sloan has, that actually this mysterious fleet admiral that still is alive has. Um, so he's... The arrogant one, it also tie, he ties into the Zero Hour story where they're going after one of his estates on a, a Malastare. You got Yup Tashu, who is this dark side guy who intimates this idea that that there were dark siders who went out into the galaxy. They're sort of beyond the reach of the Empire, who will eventually someday perhaps return. That the dark side will live again, and the Empire is just a skin that it wears, which I it's hmm. probably a tie into the Knights of Ren, I would think. Um, and you know, get Anson Crassus or whatever his name is, this this like money lender guy. They've got this very large cast of new characters. I think the standouts have to be Nora Timon, although I wasn't really fond of Timon, uh, and Sinjir. But a lot of the other characters that felt like took sort of a backseat, even the characters that I would have expected to need more characterization, like Jasimari being part of the team. Mr. Bones, the battle droid with knives and stuff, got more characterization than Jasimari did. Yeah, I, I can that that's another thing as far as in story that that I 100 percent agree with. I, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I could use a little more. And, and you know, we got two more books to tell her story, so um, it's it's possible it's going to be in there. But I agree. I felt like she was incredibly, uh, you know, one note. She felt very one dimensional. Um, as far as the the uh, the Imperials being, you know, they were more one dimensional with the exception of Sloane. I loved Sloane's character arc in, in this yeah. book. Uh, a lot of them were very one dimensional, but they were one dimensional in all the ways that I felt they needed to be and, and were great. I honestly, I, I could have used just more of, of their stuff. I found it so intriguing, you know, their conversations and stuff and and really getting a feel for what it was like for the uh, the Empire right now. Yeah, you know, the one disappointment for me was the Wedge. You know, Nate, you keep saying he's MacGuffin. Uh, he felt like Malcolm Reynolds in the episode where he was being tortured. Uh, and, uh, you know, Sean Su, you know, you want to you want to meet the real me now? Like, that was like, the only redeeming thing is that he lived through so much crap. Like, 
And it's sad that that has to be the coolest thing that happened to Wedge. Uh, and, he, and he's there for a stupid reason. So, well, I'm going to go check on these these different uh, planets just to kind of see if the Empire is gathering its forces or anything. I'm just going to do it by myself in this little star hopper. I don't need any backup or anything like that. I'm just going to go. And the yeah. rebels are like, yeah, have fun. See ya. Yeah. Have fun storming the castle. You know? <laughs> Good luck. To be fair, I will say that that was the one thing is that that when dig right in there, Akbar's like, I told him that was a bad idea. So it is it's like a trap. Yeah, he's like, I specifically said before he left, it's a trap. It's um, some crap. So, well, so I do like that he acknowledges that okay, this is kind of a little weak for this person to to do this. That we would put them out there, but in the same aspect, you know, we have seen you know individual scouting, like for instance, Empire Strikes Back. Why was Luke by himself? Like that's not a good idea even if he is you know jedi-ish uh at that point but you know i, I kind of get it but i like that he at least acknowledges it of being you know of akbar being like i told him that that was a bad idea so well see and then there were there were little things like commander a gate uh on page 332 it would reference her shaking uh right before a battle and how she'd embraced it you know little things like that i really enjoyed uh, I also like the fact that, uh, frag, fragging, abso-fragging-lutely, frag it, uh, and every other version of the word frag have been adopted thanks to Timon. Uh, it seems like frag is now as predominant as Firefrick was in Legends. Uh, but the one thing that I found interesting that, that when I stop and I think about, you know, well, this book isn't a standalone, you know, so it's got that going in its favor. You know, everything that feels fragmented to me about this story could be built upon in the next two books for all I know. Uh, and the biggest example of this one is page 300's interlude on Tantooine. There is a hint at Fett's armor and it could be seen that that's proof he escaped because I mean, the armor, while it was pitted and stuff like that, it came out and we were told that, Fett was supposed to be digested alive over thousands of years. And if the armor's out already, it stands to reason that he's out already. And if he was going to be alive being tormented for, for thousands of years in its belly, well, then he should still be alive as well. Right, guys? Or do you have any theories I, on that one way or the other? I would think that he either got out or he was starting to be digested and somebody actually somehow got into the Sarlacc and got the armor out. Either way, it's kind of an intriguing question of, well, how did that work? The interludes do that. They set up all these intriguing things. Look, Han and Chewie are heading off to liberate Kashyyyk and they're not calling in any help because it's something they have to do right now. Uh, a guy resettling to Jakku because, and nothing ever happens there after his family was killed. Um, I love the whole thing of Mon Mothma arguing the merits of having a standing army, which is something that by the time you get to the Battle of Jakku that we see in Lost Stars has had to be turned around because she has no choice in dealing with it. Um, and you'll hear me make references to Lost Stars. I think it's the best novel that Story Group Canon has so far. Um, is that all the these one? great – sorry? Is, is that the one that has the Jedi sex? That's... Yeah, that that is – well, not Jedi, but it, it has – a, a it, it does have – scenes that you wouldn't expect necessarily in a star Wars book. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, so Delgado. So, so it's just, <laughs> I find that the interludes were interesting. I do think that this book does set up some interesting aspects by the time it's done. The idea of a small band being able to use essentially propaganda to incite an uprising. The people are already sick of the empire and it is a faked video of Sinjir killing or, or otherwise mistreating Temin 
as a, as the empire mistreating a citizen that is what manages to cause people to be up in arms. And it kind of saves the day because Timon saves the day when they're all on the ship later, winding up pole vaulting onto a rising ship and getting in through the window, whatever. See? But he manages, when he falls into the crowd, he gets caught like crowd surfing by <laughs> the crowd um, that would only be there because of the propaganda. Uh, it does a good job of setting up sort of this idea of like a grassroots uprising. And then on the flip side, sets up some peril for later. Um, one thing that I think elevated the book from being just a local story where I was like, yeah, that's interesting, but who gives a crap? Oh, look, the characters are now banded together as a crew, including uh, one of the Republic drop guys who managed to, or Republic, New Republic drop guys who managed to survive the encounter and help them very briefly. He gets to be, John Barrow gets to be part of the crew. Um, but aside from bringing them together, for future adventures, I'm thinking, this is kind of a small tale. I can't believe they spent an entire novel on this. There must be more relevance. And then you get to the end, and we get the Fleet Admiral. We have no idea who the Fleet Admiral is, other than the fact that it's male. Um, no indication that this is Thrawn or anything like that, though people are saying, oh my god, it's Thrawn back! You know, there's nothing to say that. I want to say that it's a, that they even say that he's human at one point. But it's interesting, and he's having a conversation with Sloan about how this, this whole meeting kind of went awry. And he says about the other people there, uh, he says, it's like the others, Pandion, Shale, and so forth. They were weak, sick animals that had to be culled from the herd. They did not pass the test, and now they are no burden to us. Here, and he points out at this nebula where tons of Imperial ships are waiting. Look out there. That is no longer our galaxy. Admiral, we have not lost yet, says Sloan. Oh, but we have. I see the dismay in your eyes, but this is no cause for despair, Admiral Sloan. This is how it must be. The Empire became this ugly, inelegant machine, crude and inefficient. We needed to be broken into pieces. We needed to get rid of those who want to see that old machine churning ineluctably forward. It's time for something better, something new, an Empire worthy of the galaxy it will rule. And you get this sense of, oh, crap. Here's the new big bad. Maybe not the big bad of The Force Awakens, but here we have the new big bad for this era. Um, that, hinted at throughout the rest of the book, that's the moment where I was like, okay, this book actually is going to have relevance beyond the interludes. Yeah, just that questionable character. What I found interesting was the audio version. I was, you know... Curious as did Mark Thompson get any coaching as to how to approach that character, the depth of tone, is it going to be accurate? You know, could this be Snoke, for example? You know, I mean, if it was Snoke, was he told, you know, how to come about the role or was it just one where he just put an accent on it and went to town? Uh, because really, if this guy is a big player in anything, Mark Thompson giving voice to it is the most personal characterization we have of this character because we don't know aside from like you said it, the mention of him being human there's very little to no detail about this character whatsoever and and yeah there was that thrawn-esque aspect of well he knows but at the same time palpatine kind of played that role you know palpatine was always the could outthink you as well uh one of the moral quandaries i had uh was one of the ones that you had mentioned nate about how the rebels were the ones that incited the planet to riot and I had a problem with that. Not not like a big bad problem, but 
like a when I watch Sons of Anarchy and Breaking Bad kind of problem. Like I don't want my kids in the room because I don't want to admit that I'm watching these shows kind of thing. Because like I feel like it's promoting a lifestyle that I'm not kosher with, you know, kind of thing. And and that was where I was coming from. Like I was like, does the rebellion really need to go this route? Like. You know, these are the things you're fighting against, and now you're using the. I mean, it was, it was an interesting place for the rebellion to find themselves, in the aspect of it wasn't really the rebellion; it was the small ragtag group. Uh, the one character who we haven't really talked about, I guess, and he felt odd was the Air Ranger uh, guy that dropped in out of nowhere. Uh, the sole survivor that made it into the turbo laser uh, that shot down. Uh, well, he didn't shoot it down, but shot Sloan's ship a little bit, got it crippled a little bit. So they were, you know, they had this long drawn out process, but his involvement threw me off because it, it seemed odd that they, they as the rebellion would throw just such a small force at this issue. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, you know the and we've heard that you know the tone even going into force awakens is that that of uh some moral gray area and and i i got that from this book because when they did that i was like oh that's clever but it's kind of what the bad guys might do you know that i definitely got the moral gray there as for the is he thrown is he not thrown character I found him extremely intriguing, especially for what little we got him, because unless I'm wrong, I, I, uh, interpreted it as, you know, Sloan kept getting upset through the book because she's like, someone is, is leaking information. You know, someone is screwing us over. Yeah. And I took it at the end as him, you know, basically he was puppet mastering all of that. So it was essentially mm -hmm. him yep. doing that whole thing. And I'm like, Ooh, this? Oh, and he gave her such a great line, too, because she was like, well, what if I had failed? He's like, well, then you wouldn't have been the worthy. You are the best of the best, aren't you? Which was like a, a Palpatine type thing, right? Like, well, you know, yeah. and, you know, if Anakin ends up getting getting killed through some of the stuff I'm doing, well, then clearly he's not uh, worthy of being my apprentice. You know, I I thought that character was I, I got a lot of depth out of the, the very limited time we got with him. Well, what's interesting is, okay, so this character is a fleet admiral, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, one, of the, one of the recent little tiny spoilers for The Force Awakens that we know is that Leia's new title will be general. And that was one of the things that really kind of rubbed me. I was like, man, should she be kind of higher up? I like the fact that fleet admiral already sounds like it's a high position. You know, we had Pandion doing the whole claiming Moth as a title for himself, and that was an issue. And I like the fact that Sloan watched it evolve. And Nate, you'd said at the beginning how, how, you know, her process of thinking how the empire should function, it eventually became more iron tight and all that. And, and she, in a sense kind of becomes like she's in the fleet admiral's camp, uh, just by the sense of what you get from the way mm -hmm. he's portrayed there. But I really wish they would have gave us just a little bit more. I mean, aside from him being a fleet admiral, uh, you know, they're, I guess I guess the problem is is I'm hoping to tie him into the Force Awakens, and I should be thinking of it as you did, Nate. Of this is the big bad for this era. As the big bad for this era alone, it's a very intriguing character. But if it happens to be a tie-in, I'm like craving for more. I'm like I wish they would have given us just a little bit more, you know, something to just a little more concrete. Well, I think that's where the next two books go. I think that. I mean, he can't really be Hux because he's not old enough, presumably, unless he's a really, really young 
character, like the the crazy sycophantic guy that we get in Twilight Company. Um, and we've even got hints of another Hux, though not the same Hux, now in some of the Servants of the Empire stuff by Jason Fry. And yes, I did check with him. It's not the same Hux. Um it's it's an interesting character that they're building up to, and it's very cool to see Sloane. I mean, it's almost like 12 Angry Imperials as opposed to 12 Angry Men. You sit them around <laughs> a table, tell them you're going to figure out what's going on, and they have such disparate points of view. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's Attack of the Clones in action, right? It's somebody should... You know, they should get together and decide and and uh, have democracy. Well, no, you know, if they can't agree, then somebody should just, you know, sit down, decide what's the best thing and then make them do it. You know, who should do it? Well, someone wise. I mean, that's kind of where her mindset evolves into. She goes from this whole idea of, you know, a council of people to try to bring it together. She even has an official name. I forget the exact name off the top of my head, but an official name for this yeah, the, meeting. The Futures Council or something like that. And and then she gets to the point where she you know what? Screw it. And I'll be honest. The Imperial parts kind of dragged for me initially because it was pretty much politics sitting in a room. And as much as I love politics, I'm a social studies guy, it just was not riveting at all. It was people bickering in the ways you expect them to bicker, exactly how she predicted they would bicker. Until you get towards the end and it's the, the oh crap, there's an uprising. And when they start to escape, that's when everything hits the fan and you've got... Uh, you know, the Pandion in the room with them when the power starts to go out and there's a, there's the scuffle that's going on with them. And what do you do with him and, and, and what's going on with Tashu? And then you've got Sloan trying to be the one to escape. Uh, Nora actually chasing her down, not even sure if she has managed to sur- if uh, Sloan has managed to survive or not. You got these this segment where I it's interesting because Sloan is someone who. In reappearing here, I was kind of surprised. She now has shown up here. She's shown up in A New Dawn. She's shown up in multiple short stories. We all got the sense, yeah, Sloane is here to stay. She's important. But because we haven't seen The Force Awakens yet, and this is as far in the future as we've gotten, except for parts of Lost Stars that has nothing to do with her, and some of those like, like parts of like Weapon of the Jedi, like the, the prologue and epilogue type stuff, it's interesting because anything could happen to Sloane. Sloane could have died here. And I actually had some suspense of whether or not Sloan was going to die. Ironically, I didn't really give a crap if any of the other characters died. I hadn't grown attached to any of them. But Sloan coming back here gave the possibility of her dying or getting maimed or whatever kind of another notch upward in suspense the rest of the book really didn't have. I think if the rest of the book was like the interludes or like maybe the last, say, 20%, it would have been a more fun ride. As it stands, it's actually aside from the writing style, I actually don't think it's a bad book. I think what we've got here is a solid book that if it was introduced in any other way into Star Wars, would have been very well received. Instead, it's the one that's going to be launching us to the journey to The Force Awakens. It's the first adult novel after Return of the Jedi. Yes! And then it becomes this. I mean, it, it sort of feels like a side story. It feels like... It'd be like if instead of launching the Legends continuity with Heir to the Empire, they launched it with the X-Wing books. Good books, but that's not what people were looking for as the launch, and that caused a lot of consternation, as we talked about in our last episode. But in general, I think the story was fairly solid. Would have liked to see Jasamari beefed up a little bit, but and a little bit more action early on, but I think the book itself is fairly solid. See, I like the X-Wing books too much for that comparison. For me, it'd be like making it Tales from Mos Eisley Cantina. Or or, or Ruins <laughs> ruins of Dantooine. Is that oh, better? Oh, there, there you go. That, <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not sure I'd go uh, that hard. So I have two things I want to propose to you guys before we go. One of them is dealing with a character that we talked about uh, as the MacGuffin. 
Uh, it the, the closest references I can get are page 257, 273, and then 315. Wedge goes from being escaped on the run to looming dead but unconscious and strapped onto a hover table. When did he get captured? When did I? I mean, I missed that. Like, I, I don't know if I, I had two pages that were stuck together or what, if that was just something that was supposed to have happened off scene. But I just remember going, wait, what the hell happened to Wedge? He went from being free one minute to he ducked into that wall. He was hiding from the stormtroopers. Then all of a sudden he's beat up and he's unconscious, strapped to a table. That one threw me off. I don't know if either one of you guys have a, a solution to that. And then the other one was, should well, actually, I'll let you guys answer that, and then I'll pose the next one. I remember seeing like, the him being captured versus when he's free was never something that bothered me. I know that we saw him happen. I think the only sort of jump was there was a point where he was found unconscious, and there was sort of a wait. When did he go unconscious type thing? But it was supposed to be because of the injuries and stuff that he had been sustaining up to that point. Michael, did you oh. notice anything similar as far as like the pattern of that? Yeah, that's... That's pretty much it. The, like I said, the way that I, I remember it going down. They, I thought, you know, and honestly, a lot of people are probably going to hate me for this, but just the way the book was going, I thought Wedge was not going to make it out of this book. And I, I think that it, it may have actually made the book a little bit better if he hadn't. I almost kind of agree with you because I know that the actor who is uh, Ewan McGregor's uncle even has no intention of coming back if offered the role of Wedge. Uh, and that would be the best way to you know solve that without having another actor come in and apprise the role was to write him out. And I think that that's where my disappointment with Wedge came across was, you know, the X-Wing and the Wraith Squadron and, and those stories where he had such a predominant role that what he had happened to him in this, it was like, it was like the moment where Darth Vader is torturing Han. It's just like, but, but that's it. Like you take away all the other cool moments of Han Solo's character from the films and you just give him just that moment and him flying the Falcon once. And you're like, okay, this is mm -hmm. the character. Cause I, I don't know. I mean, I, I had all those layers from legends of awesome wedge and I was like, Wow, that's that's it. Like, can we at least put some garlic on this bread and call it garlic toast? Well, I, I liked the. I thought there was definitely some action, and I thought it was a cool little chess game between him and Sloane early on. Of you know, uh, cause you know, like when he's in the tractor beam and he, they they're pulling him in, and at that point he causes it to detonate, and then they're like, okay, I guess he killed himself, and they're like, no, 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 mm -hmm. what you know, and they go looking for him and everything. I thought that was very crafty of him and 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 very cool see it, it just turned into one of those things where he kind of they're like okay this is wedge but sloan is her cruelty is is you know it knows no bounds i felt like that scene was like an homage to zon's trilogy because i i remember that scene with luke and mara where mara pulls him out of space when he's like out there floating i, I don't know it just kind of reminded me of that where luke had, had did the same kind of thing to the star destroyer and then was completely vulnerable but lucked out because he reached out to mara yeah, i think that the opening it felt like we'd seen that over and over again the oh no we got Tractor beam, what do we do? God, we've seen that so many times. Uh, his faking the explosion or causing the explosion to fake his death was something that was kind of surprising. I would agree with Michael. There were points at which I was thinking that maybe Wedge wouldn't survive this because it is a new canon. We don't know if he survives 
you know, all the way up to The Force Awakens. But if it had been, this would have been the wrong way to do it because he was such a fluff character. I mean, he was there to move the plot along. He really didn't have a lot of substance to his scenes in here. It would have been a crappy time to have him die in sort of a non-heroic manner. Though I will say he does have a very good moment when he finally gets to the point where he could simply leave uh, the, the satrap's palace and be safe. And he's like, but I got to get information to the New Republic about what's happening here. <laughs> and he turns back around and goes back in. I think that's a great wedge moment for him. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, the other question I had for you guys, though, and I think this goes into how I would rank this book, is shouldn't the next two books, do you guys think it should have come out before or after The Force Awakens? Because they're coming out after. And that was something that had me scratching my head. It's like, okay, well, this book is part of the journey to The Force Awakens. And yet this book series has two more books that are going to come out after that. Do you think it's purposeful so they can drop some details that they assume you've now seen the movie and these details you're going to recognize more? Because you know how I mentioned before uh, with Jennifer Heedle at Star Wars Celebration where they mentioned that you know, you're going to get it one direction. Do you think they put these two off so they could spoil them the opposite direction where now you'll know the tie-ins are directly going into that direction? Or do you think it just happened to be circumstantial that it just fell when it did. The movie came down between the trilogy. I absolutely think that that's the case. I, I think that, uh, that the tarp's going to be off and we're going to see everything for the next book. I think it would, it could have been a lot nicer if say we got the, the next book on the, you know, December 18th or, or shortly thereafter uh, having to wait until I think I believe it's may is a little too long, but yeah, I think at that point, uh, we're definitely going to know where everything starts to point to. Yeah, I think that this, it would have been nicer to be able to see these ahead of time, but they only had so much that they could publish prior to the film coming out, you know, between Disney picking up the contract, or Disney picking up Lucasfilm and everything, and then leading up to The Force Awakens. They didn't really have a big window to produce a lot of these. You know, we haven't really seen any trilogies or anything like that up to this point, just mostly one-offs and such. Uh, though I will say... That for those who were like, you know, I can't believe it. We're getting the, the journey to the Force Awakens and yet we're going to have the Force Awakens already. I would rewind and say, Legends. First book, Heir to the Empire, Thrawn Trilogy. Not only did it take a while to come out, but that left a lot of unanswered questions. And in a sense, Truce of Bakura, the X-Wing series and so on, that is the journey to Heir to the Empire. So, Relax. Yeah, and the other two books we have coming are Life Debt and Empire's End. Uh, I, I find it interesting that they chose to go with Empire's End. There seems to be that common theme that is always a Lucas theme, I guess, of taking older story titles and reusing them again. I don't have a problem with that. I am curious, though, as to where this is going to go because of the way the book told the stories with the interludes, you know, are the interludes going to become bigger parts of the story? Are they going to stay interludes? Uh, you know, are, are, is the focus of this book going to be the same type of focus of the next one? Is it going to be about this ragtag group on their next mission? Like it almost seemed to kind of allude to, I mean, they've got a ship, they're all together. They're going off. Are we going to see them on their next mission? Is wedge now going to be their handler? Uh, you know, there's so many different directions they could go, but I, I don't know. I know that th this book had me intrigued because of 
I thought it was going to build up more of what to expect for the force awakens. But now once all I've seen the force awakens, I don't necessarily know if I'm going to be thrilled to read the next two or not at this moment. I I'm happy that they offer opportunity for the story that this one is laid down to get better because for me personally, it wasn't as good as I hoped it could have been. Uh, but it, it does have room to grow. And with two more books to come, I'm very optimistic that it could grow really well. But from what we've been told about what's coming, I, I'm just meh at this moment. You know, I got to say, I, I'm not really looking forward to the next book because I don't know what to expect. It's called Life Debt, so I wonder if it's going to be the story of the liberation of Kashyyyk, but then where do these characters come in? I'm not sure I really want to see these characters continue into two more books. They were interesting for this one, but if it stays focused on them and this narrow focus instead of the galactic focus and the lack of an epic scale, I think it's going to get old. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping that they can really sort of breathe some life into this group a little bit more as they go into another book if they're coming back. But so far, I really don't necessarily... It's not that I don't want to see them again. It's that I am not just excited to see them again. Um, I do hope the interludes wind up becoming a bigger part of it as far as you know some of the galactic events. And what I really want to know, because the present tense thing of the first book, when it became an issue, Chuck Wendig's response was, too late to change it now, suckers. I wonder if based on that and the fragments and the brouhaha that we talked about in the last episode, I'm wondering if Disney or Wendig have heard the fans, especially those with valid critiques on the writing style, and if the next books are going to be first-person sentence fragment fests, or if the style will change. And if it does change, will it be Wendig's decision or Lucasfilm slash Del Rey saying, you know what, we got a lot of crap over your writing style last time. We're not doing that again. And simply putting it on. Because then they won't have the big impact of, it's the journey to the Force Awakens. You must buy this book. People will be a little bit more discerning the second time around. Uh, I wonder less about where the story goes and really the internal politics of the thing and where the style goes from here. But that's just me. Well, I've heard that the uh, the next one's going to be in uh, second person future tense. You so. will do this. You will do that. <laughs> it's very, very interesting. And it's uh, all run on sentences as well. Well, that's funny because I heard the third one, they were going to do it entirely like Yoda. <laughs> Yoda and Pig Latin. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> with, the, with the Jar Jar dialect. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, at, at that point, I'd go, screw this. Where's that audiobook? Um, <laughs> I'm not even sure an audiobook could save that. <laughs> yeah, Mark Thompson's reading the script. He's like, screw you guys. No, <laughs> he's like, doing what? it. No. My I, give up. No. My give up. <laughs> so, anyhow, yeah, so I'm, I'm very interested with, with the next one being called Life Debt. Well, I say interested. Um, honestly, that's one where the title kind of bums me out a bit because you know nathan i actually loved these characters um i I agree with you jess i think uh i I would have loved to to gotten more out of her sinjir that whole loyalty officer thing was super intriguing to me uh i liked timon i thought he was definitely what young anakin uh should have been and could have been and and of course nora was excellent i liked how flawed a lot of the characters were, but at the same time, they were, you know, a motley crew with their their own little uh, abilities and things uh, that that ended up all paying off. That that you know, every 
every one of them was ne- each character was needed in order to you know to to advance the story because otherwise they would have been hosed um the fact that the next book is called life debt makes me feel like that it's going to be, be very han and chewy centric which is it kind of bums me out a little bit because where I think that 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 what they set up in that interlude would make a great story, I would rather see that as a one-off, you know, as something its own book aside from this trilogy. Uh, however, thinking about that, um, you know, especially knowing, oh, they're going to go free all of the Wookies on Kashyyyk, and then you hear life debt, it's like, well. Han's kind of cool when he's got one Wookiee Enforcer at his side. What's going to happen when he has all the Wookiee Enforcers at his side? You know, that's... <laughs> hey, Goldenrod, <laughs> you Wookiees, your Ewoks, they got nothing on my Wookiees. <laughs> it's like, how did you defeat the Empire? The, all the Jedi were gone. There was no Force left. He's like, Force? I had all of the Wookiees. Yeah, it's like Boba Fett turns out to be alive and is like, Oh, hell no. See, I'm done. What, I'm out. Han, you can do, do your thing. I'm done here. Um, oh, yeah, but, but and real quick, this, because I know I, I honestly could probably talk about this book for like another four hours. I, I did enjoy it that much, but um, I, I think that it, it's one of two things with the uh, the Sarlacc. I think either A, um, he was digested and, and he uh, pooped out the, the armor, or the Sarlacc pooped out the armor, or B, um, he did get out and he said, you know, because they talked about that it was so pitted, he had to dump the armor, uh, in order, because the, the acid was coming through to, you know, to keep the acid off of him possibly, which mm-hmm. m- basically says that Boba Fett's either dead or running around naked somewhere. Oh, that, that, that <laughs> I'm just thinking about the, just, oh. I'm thinking of that too. I'm like, I'm like, Jabba, you lying SOB. Like, you know, you're like, on one hand, I'm going to fall into the Sarlacc. But on the other hand, I'm going to suffer for a very long time. I'm not really going to die right away. And then you fall in and you like start digesting immediately. You lying freaking hunt! No, I'm just thinking of, okay, if that's how bad the Sarlacc's face and mouth look, what must its anus look like that it would have shot that back out to the surface? Yeah. Ah! Would you be able to tell the difference except one's got a beak? <laughs> oh god this maybe is, they both have beaks this is where we find out that the anus is actually a cave in the Judlin Wastes where the Jawas go for food or maybe uh, that was the anus uh, 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 okay uh, that's alright I we used to refer to the Sarlacc as the uh, the fanged thing Trump said Megyn Kelly had blood coming out of of doom so you know <laughs> well you know the, that's so a whole other thing in the special edition, that little part that uh, that Lucas added in that comes out, that's the sphincter. And with that, ladies and gentlemen... Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder all sorts of things and ponder on and on and on and share our fandom. Uh, We'd like to thank you, Michael, once again for coming on. Give the fans, the Beyonders out there, a little taste of how they can get to Cloud City Casino. Yeah, thank thank you guys. I had an absolute blast on uh, both of these episodes, but... 
You can always find us, of course, on, on the uh, Star Wars Report website. Uh, just under the podcast, you can click on the Cloud City Casino uh, little section there. And then, of course, we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Cloud City Casino. We have a Gmail. It's easy. Just cloudcitycasino at gmail.com. And you can actually find uh, myself or Bruce on our personal Twitter pages, which are I'm at Morris Isley and he's at Admiral underscore Rex. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes and Michael and Bruce's of Cloud City Casino streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you you will not only can you post comments to us about the show we love interacting with you fellow fans so if you have any star wars and or legends questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com now lastly before we go we wanted to mention to you our sponsors audible if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwars report you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with the book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. Oh my god, and if you're trying to read Aftermath, that's a good way to do it if the page is driving you nuts. Absolutely. Save your forehead and your desk. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this is Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And Nathan. And Michael. Sing, thanks for listening in. May the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll be able to get Michael on the new uh, YouTube channel Battlefront live stream sometime soon. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> Or the odds that I may have talked my wife into going PlayStation 4, finally. Yes! Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got the hook. I just gotta reel her in nice and slow. Nice <laughs> and slow. I got a lightsaber-shaped rod. What that fish! We also looked at the expectation. And with me, like, a... Damn, I didn't change that out. <laughs> And he's got his blooper. Yes. 